Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of you know we're really looking forward to 2021? Raise your hand. I'm going to help you. And of course, I know none of you have had any anxiety or worry this year. But just in case you have, I'm going to entitle this message, Overcoming Worry. I'll break it into three parts, and the last part will have three little parts. But before I do, let me share a couple things with you. How many of you were involved in the Unite 714 prayer thing? Many of you, thank you very much. And it, we, 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 we prayed and um, something, um, I had some words and some pastors gathered around them and by the time we got done, one secular magazine estimated 890 million people had prayed. And so I wanna talk to you about where we are in our country and where we're going. Pastor Jacob knows about all this that I'm gonna share with you. Pastor Don Norman would know. Pastor Randy here would know. December 18th, um, pardon me, December 31st, 2018, I was sitting in my home church in Nashville, Tennessee. I go to a multi-site, multi-ethnic church, much like this one. And um, I was sitting in one of our sites and. Our pastor there is a great African-American, about 47 years old. And so I'm sitting in church, and it's our Happy New Year service, and I was about ready to ruin it. And I was sitting on the front row, and I had a strong impression of the Holy Spirit. The Lord said, America's coming to a terrible tipping point. This is all was put on YouTube. And I saw New York City just crushed. Um, the financial markets of the country were just shaken, literally I thought the Twin Towers were falling again financially. And it hit the country so hard, it rippled all the way up to California. California went vertical, and the whole country began to slide into what I thought was just a depression or a recession. In this impression in my spirit, I could literally hear people screaming, recession, depression, who'll save us? What's going to happen to us? It hit me pretty hard because I have a son, a daughter and her son living in New York City, and I have a, a son, daughter, and three grandchildren in the Bay Area. I didn't know what to make of it, but I knew. I thought, okay, we're just done as a nation. We're going to slide into depression. It just, next thing I knew, the hands of God reached out. He said, I'll catch it. He kept saying, 17 months, 17 months, 17 months, 17 months. And I knew that within 17 months, of that time, what I was seeing was going to happen. Come on, American on the earth. I kind of, next thing I knew, I heard the pastor saying, and we've got one of our elders, one of our board members speaking tonight, Jim LaFoon. I thought, oh, my Lord, what am I going to do with this? So I kind of stagger up to the stage and begin to share with them the tamer version of what I'd seen. And then I began to prophesy and and I wouldn't have normally given a prophecy like this in a typical Sunday morning, but this was a service of a lot of our mature people. And I said this. I said, 17 months from this day, 
which is the weekend Mr. Floyd was killed, the end of May, that would have been 17 months, I said a terrible time of disunity and division and polarization will come on our nation. It's going to rock our nation. I told them other things already. It's going to shake us. Doomsayers are going to be saying things. People are going to be scared to death. Um, the hearts of many are going to fail them for fear. So coupled with this terrible economic thing is going to be division, polarization. It'll be ethnic. It'll be political. And I said, but this is what the Lord would say to you. America's not going to end in lasting depression or recession. America's not going to end in anarchy. America is going to end in revival. Let's give God a clap for that. And so this affected me so much so that in May of 2019, I took 10 days off just to pray and listen and try to wrap around what was coming to our country, what was coming to the world. And as I got up in the mountains of Tennessee in May, I was kind of in the foothills of the mountains in a valley looking up. Lord began to speak to me out of the book of Jeremiah where it says, if you've run with the horsemen and you've got tired, pardon me, the footmen, what we do when the horsemen come? If you fell flat on your face when it was safe, what will you do when you get into a swamp? When you come to the flooded Jordan, he said, Jim, America's going to get very dangerous, I thought. Okay, I live in Franklin, Tennessee. What's going to happen? Maybe a car is going to hit me when I'm running. Like, get dangerous. I just, I, I could not wrap my mind around what that meant. And um, the next morning I woke up and the Lord spoke to me. He said, let me show you what's coming. And out of China, I saw a terrible river of death begin to flow into every nation of the world. It was mindless, merciless, and I end up writing in my journal, a river of death to every nation it will flow. Of course, I knew later that was COVID that was coming on the earth. Now, I tell you those things to let you know that God's not surprised by any of the things we faced. There's nothing that surprised him. And I want to help you deal with anxiety and worry today. Lord, just help us in these moments. I've titled this message, Overcoming Worry. I've subtitled it, Is Peace on Earth Possible? What do I mean by that? Is it possible to be free from anxiety when we're living here? Is there a way we can walk as men and women where the peace of God is not just a concept, it's an experience? This is in Luke 2.14, the angels coming down to a very unpeaceful time, Israel living under Roman oppression, crucified, taxed, I mean, 40 years away roughly or 70 years away roughly from being totally eradicated, Jerusalem slaughtered. And this is this glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What does that mean? The Bible says you can have peace on the earth. Now, that, that, I know that seems impossible. If you're like me, you've worried before. If you're like me, you've faced, I was coming out here with Pastor Randy and Polly 
just talking about things we faced in our health, things we faced with kids, grandkids, that this, you're, you're going to worry or worship. There's no doubt about it. Now, now how, how is this possible? Like, it says in John 14, 1, Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. Oh, my gosh. He says also, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 27, it says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Jesus tells the disciples, I'm getting ready to leave you by the way. I'm going to be brutally murdered. I'm going to resurrect that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go away. But I'm going to leave something with you. Now we know the Holy Spirit. He says, my peace I give you. Jesus says, when I go to heaven, you're not going to be left down here to face life alone. Yes, you'll have the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to give you something called my peace. And he says this, to understand this, now this is counterintuitive. The peace that Jesus gives us does not work the way the peace you're used to. For most of us, you have peace if your circumstances are peaceful. Jesus says, that's not the way mine works. I have a peace for you that even if the phone rings and they tell you your wife's cancer spread to her lymph nodes, you can be peaceful. I've had that. When you lay dying, I've laid there. When the doctors tell you, your health is destroyed with an autoimmune disease. There's no hope for you. Quit working and you're 32. You hold your son who played college football, 228 pounds, first kid to get a letter of intent from his high school, dying at 107 pounds with bed sores in your arms from a parasite. Jesus says, my peace I give you. And that means when life comes at you and all of us know it does. The one promise that Jesus always keeps is in this world, you'll have trouble. How many of you know that's true? In the, that's when's, is that always fulfilled, Pastor Randy? That one is always fulfilled, Pastor Don. In this world, you'll have trouble. But my peace works because it doesn't flow out of your circumstances. Therefore, if your heart's troubled, that's a choice. Now, how does this work? Let me inspire you for a moment. As much as I appreciate the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about some, our sister there has a tremendous gift of exhortation. We talked about our sister over there's gift of prophecy. You know, different gifts in people. They're wonderful. But the Bible says there's what's called the fruit of the Spirit. That means regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're facing, Regardless of your bank account, regardless of your health, regardless of how your children and grandchildren, and any of us know, as parents, I was laughing with Randy today, we, when you're young, you think, oh, this toddler stage is about to kill me. Oh, my gosh, they're teenagers. No, 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 no. Eventually, they'll be adult children, and that can even be more difficult. And then they'll get grandchildren, you'll worry about them too. So what do you do? Jesus says, the, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. What does that mean? 
that the Holy Spirit, regardless of how your spouse is doing, can produce love in you for she or he. If they can't love you back. Even though, of course, you're perfect, they're making you mad somehow. What is Jesus saying? In the most anxiety-driven circumstance, when you're facing crisis, I've been there. I've faced death. I've lived with people killed in front of my house. How? So what happens? The Holy Spirit says, no matter what your circumstance, the Holy Spirit says, no matter what you're going through, I can produce peace in you. I want to help you get that today. I want to help you understand as we're sitting here. Okay, no matter what you're facing, and we're facing lots of things. Let's be honest, COVID, economy, God's healing, like ancient tensions in our country, dealing with things. How do we have peace when this is happening? Elections and all these things come and go. How do we have peace? When you begin to look at Scripture, God's promises are staggering. This is in Isaiah 9, 6, the same time I just read part of it. It says, this Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He'll give you peace. I sit here as a testimony today I've had all the bad phone calls of disease and crisis. He's the Prince of Peace. He says in Isaiah 26, 3, I'll keep in perfect peace, shalom, shalom. The man or woman whose mind or view of the world or mindset is resting on the right thing. I've already read John 14, 27. He says in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which means... You're peaceful and you can't figure it out. I remember driving down the road and, I, and my, my wife had um, thyroid cancer. This is many years ago. I had four small children and they were treating her and she had a stroke in the middle of it. Couldn't talk anything. Doctor looked at me and said, Mr. Foon, we're sorry to tell you we think this wife's, we think your wife's cancer, spread to the brain, go home and get a good night's sleep. How many of you know that's probably not the best bedside manner? That's fine. And, and I'm driving back in the fog to my four. I lived in a very small town, um, very broken, very impoverished area. Um, I was pastoring there. Massive, massive rates of um, illiteracy. Um, I pastored an incredible church, 1.70% African-American. We weren't like that well-loved in the city, I have to admit. But it was, it was where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech before he went to Washington. And, and so I'm in the middle of all this. I'm young. I mean, in my, in my 30s. And now I'm driving home to get a good night's sleep. And they're telling me, we think your wife's cancer's in her brain now. Hey, we're sorry. And I'm praying for, and the Lord says, stop praying for your wife. I go, I rebuke you, devil. He said, stop praying, it's a waste of your time. I thought, oh, that's not too good of news. He said, your wife's fine. Now, I, I, I said, is that my own mind? But all of a sudden, the anxiety didn't go away. 
There was just so much peace flowed into my soul, it drowned the anxiety. God's peace is not the absence of anxiety. It is the presence of something greater. So how do you find that light? Practically speaking, in these next minutes together, I'm going to show you how to walk in peace. You say, Jim, are you a peace expert? No, but I'm an anxiety expert. I manage crisis as life. I have been in the hospital, lips numb, joints not working, tightness in my chest. And God goes, hey, go home. I go, go home. I'm here dying in the hospital. You're not dying. I, 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 everyone always said, look, I said, look, I know it's real peaceful up there in heaven. But it's been a long time since you lived in human form down here. It's really hard still. He said, go home. He said, you're just stressed. Now, I don't mean we shouldn't get checked out. And I have heart checks up and stuff. I invited all the nurses to church and I went home. I began to worship. And that stress lifted off me. Like, how's that happen? And that doesn't mean you don't need doctors and don't need heart checks. I believe in all that. But I mean, I've had all my joints tightened down. I mean, when I destroyed my autoimmune system, I'd have all the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. If I walked to my office, I could, my hand shook so bad I couldn't unlock the door. I can remember collapsing on the floor before I was 40. Just the constant pressure of crisis. Like, what do you do with that? How's God teach you to walk in his pace? First of all, you've got to lay a biblical foundation to rest on. And that's what I want to help you. Isaiah 26, 3, first part of the verse is this. You will keep in perfect peace, you speaking of God. Perfect peace is a Hebrew word which means shalom, shalom. Now, the word shalom in the Hebrew is really not, okay, you're going to have a peaceful circumstance. It's going to mean the peace of God is going to so fill you and make you whole that regardless of your circumstance, it's divine. This is a powerful word because it's not just shalom. It's shalom, shalom, double shalom. Now, how is this possible? You will keep... In perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast. Now, the word steadfast is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It says, you're going to keep in perfect peace. And the word mind is too. Mind here doesn't mean your brain. It means how you view the world, your mindset, how you see life. God will keep in perfect peace those whose view of the world, those whose view of life, those whose mindset is stayed, no, the word stayed means resting on. The word stayed means um, to rest on something, to sit on something, to put the weight of it on something because they trust in you. So what is God saying here? God is saying that that which you rest on, that which your ultimate trust is on will determine your peace. When you get in crisis like this, 
you're going to find it. Now, this is what mine is. It says here in Timothy, he who is blessed and only sovereign, uh, he's the king of kings, sovereign of sovereigns, Lord of lords, God. My hope, and I, there's other things you know, oh, are they my finances? Are they my politics? Are they myself? Oh my gosh, is, it, is my hope in the Republican Party, the Democratic Party? Is my hope in Trump and my hope in Biden? And I hope you vote your conscience. But ultimately, my hope's in none of that. <coughs> my hope is not in a human. <clears throat> my hope is not in who's in the White House. My hope's not what happens in Beijing. My hope's not in the World Health Organization. My hope is not, will a vaccine save me? I believe in vaccines. I believe in masks. I pray for those that make them. But my hope rests in one thing and one thing alone. It's not my ability. It's not my retirement ability. That can all change. That can change tomorrow. My hope is that my future and the future of my family is seated right there. Let me tell you right now, that little chair you don't want to sit in long. In fact, my mama says I've always been husky, but if I was to sit in that chair, I might damage it is the fact of it. I can't even imagine that chair might wrap around me like a banana peel. And many of you, that's what you're sitting on. Oh, my business. Oh, my finances. Oh, this. Oh, that. Listen, beloved, I sat crying over the nation some weeks ago. Oh, my God, what will happen to America? What's our future? We need revival. God said, what's wrong with you down there? He said, Jim, do you somehow think I don't sit on the throne of God? Do you somehow think? I've lived through a lot of presidents. It's been my commitment. I pray for them every day in their office. I don't care if they're Democratic, Republican. And to be honest, every president I've served under as an adult, there are things I don't like about him. I just got to tell you the truth. Yes, I vote. Yes, I vote my conscience, but my hope is not in an earthly government. My hope is not. My hope is in the sovereign of sovereign and the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He is my hope. You know, depending on how election goes, half the nation's euphoric. The other half's in despair. It changes from time to time. God, God laughed. He goes, if like, did, did, he, he said, Jim. Was I like voted out of heaven? Was I voted out of heaven? Like, Jim, what is your hope in? Is your hope in some man, your ability, how many times you can travel? Listen, when COVID hit, my income was cut in half. Half of it comes from traveling around. And, you know, planes weren't, was a different time. God just provided for me. He just helped me. So what you're resting on today will determine the state of your peace. Second thing I want to tell you is, will you lift your burdens and anxieties to the Lord? Philippians 4, 6, first part says this, don't be anxious about anything. Let's be honest. How many of you see commands like that in the Bible and think, that's crazy, raise your hand. Maybe, maybe that means when I get to heaven, I won't be so anxious. Don't be, I say, Lord, give me a break. Don't be anxious about anything. Oh, my golly. 
But then Paul, Paul goes on to say, but in every situation you find yourself in, in everything you're facing, by prayer, by petition, continue to pray, but with thanksgiving and praise and worship, present your request to God. Now, neuroscientists know that if you want to deal with a negative neural pathway, you start a new one. That's why Paul was a genius neuroscientist. And what is Paul saying? Now catch this because it's very important. When you're faced with anxiety, and there are a lot of them here. National issues of the country and what's happening and my gosh, can God help our nation and the economy and COVID, your personal health. Many of you have had people very sick you love. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you're bleeding for a child or two that's broken your heart. Maybe you're concerned about a grandchild. Two of you minimally came in in the utmost despair because the clock's ticking down and you're not even sure how you're going to pay things next week. That's just not easy. So what is Paul saying? When you're anxious, troubled on the inside, you have a choice. You can worry your way through them or you can worship your way through them. Now, why is this so important? Worry will quickly separate you from God. I don't mean theologically, but worry will separate you from your faith, your trust. In fact, worry, quite honestly, is just live streaming unbelief. It's just a form of not believing. Because if you believed, you wouldn't be worrying about it. Okay, that's nasty. We all do it. So when I worry, it really carries me away from God's presence. It carries me away. How many of you, if you really get stressed and anxious, can feel it in your body? Raise your hand. Almost immediately. Feel it across your chest. Maybe your fingers get numb. I mean, we're not going to do a study on what happens when you worry to your immune system, to your digestive system, to your sleeping patterns. So, Kathy and I, we, we pray together every night. We have a, a joint prayer time every night, and that was a commitment we made back when we were dating 113 years ago. I'm kidding, 43 years ago. And um, we have nights where we don't even pray. We just worship over every request and thank God for answering it. So, Father, you know what we're facing with a grandchild. Uh, last year... We had to fly to England because our one-year-old youngest granddaughter had a brain thing and it turned into a, a dish rag and was dying. We pulled her out of the Syrian border. That's why I was in London last year about this time. Thank God in five days she was healed. Just a miracle of God. But, I, but so what do you do with that? Oh, God, my granddaughter. God, I want to thank you. You can heal her. I want to thank you know the need, but Lord, in the end, I know you can do this. I know if for some reason she doesn't make it, she's with you. So why would Paul suggest 
that you don't just ask God to touch that need, but that need becomes worship. Here is why. Let me explain this to you. How many of you felt better when you worshiped today? Raise your hand. How many of you realize more than likely the circumstance you're most worried about hasn't changed why you worshiped? Okay, but why did it help you? Let me explain to you why. When you worship, whether it's worshiping in church, although it's special to worship in church, it's one of the reasons that I'm so appreciative that I can have live worship, not just online worship, because God's presence inhabits corporate worship in a very unusual way. First, when you worship, and we call these things the spiritual disciplines, which is reading your Bible, worshiping corporately, praying in the spirit, waiting on the Lord, here's what happens. You have a new nature, and so when you were born again, your spirit nature was reconnected to the Godhead, enabling the peace of God, the life of God, the joy of God to flow into you. But it's like that tremendous keyboard. How many of you have that nice, expensive keyboard over there? If it wasn't plugged in, would it work? It could be 10,000 bucks. Who would care? But so it's plugged in, but if you don't turn the on switch on, what's going to happen? I love this microphone. It's a perfectly working microphone with a power source. But if it's not turned on, which normally I don't know how to do anyway, or if it's not cut on, off mute back there, it's the same with you. You are plugged into the power of God, but it's worship, it's the spiritual disciplines that flip the power source. Make the, and when you do, all of a sudden, God's spirit begins to well up in you. You feel his presence, you know that, his peace, his grace, you feel his presence, but that's the first thing that happens. Secondly, the experience of God's loving presence through prayer and thanksgiving results in a biochemical cascade. We know scientifically that, that, that I mean, Pastor Randy, one of my dear friends, I've walked with him probably years. When Pastor Randy puts his hand on me to pray, it's gonna be okay, Jim. It's not just the spiritual part because someone I trust has placed his hand on my shoulder we know scientifically my oxytocin levels change in five seconds. So when God's presence comes on you, it's not just spiritual, it's neurochemical. Because when the God of all the earth comes into your space and loves on you, it affects your oxytocin, your prolactin, your endorphins, and your dopamine. It just You're showered with feel-good chemicals. And when you're showered with feel-good chemicals, it affects you psychologically where once you felt cold, helpless, sad, now, even though maybe nothing's changed, you feel warm and positive. The greatest thing you can do psychologically is to worship. It's just to read that word. You were designed for it. And to think you can have great mental health, ultimately, outside of a life-giving relationship with Christ is daunting because you were made to be in his presence. And so what Paul's saying is, is when you connect with God through worship, this is what happens. The last thing I want to say is watch out because it's easy to fall back in these patterns. That's why it says in Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, finally, sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable 
if it has any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about it. In other words, when you think about, you know, I probably might, we're going to go bankrupt. Is that honorable to God? I'm never going to get well. Now, is that a noble thought of God? No. What is God saying? What you ruminate on in your mind. Then it says this. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. When you walk out this door with this newfound victory, there are times daily I literally take my anxieties and write them on a piece of paper and, and praise over every one of them. I just praise over them. I, I told my wife, a few days I run things, I says, we're not gonna ask God for a thing tonight. Not one thing. No matter how painful it is, we're gonna thank him and praise him. You just say today, Pastor Don, join me up here, please. You just say today, Pastor Jim, I need a fresh measure of God's peace. Just raise your hand right now. Put them up. Pray this. Lord Jesus, I give you my anxieties. I thank you over each and every one. Just begin to thank him. Those anxieties which have crippled you, touched you. Just say, Lord, I thank you. You've got it. I thank you. You're going to help me. I thank you. Now take a deep breath. Breathe in. Say, Jesus, you're my peace. Jesus, you're my peace. As our brothers at the keyboard playing, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for your peace descending on them. Man, it's hard right now, Lord. It just is. those of us that have lived a while, we've seen other hard times. This is tough. For a younger generation, this is just bitter reality. Some have said it's, it's not going to come back to normal. It's going to come back better. Your church is going to come back more powerful. You're healing deep wounds of ethnic divide in our nation. You told me you brought us back to the 60s to heal some things. I know it. Our hope's not in Republicans or Democrats. Our hope's in you. You've got a plan for this nation. Deal with the polarization in our country politically. God, we demonize one another in our nations now. Forgive us. Heal our marriages, our children. Raise your hands and say, thank you, Lord. What you're feeling right now can be a norm for you. It's his peace. I know, like me, when you walk out the door, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a line of birds looking for space on me. Some are going to hop on my head. Some are going to hop on my shoulders. I just do. It's like they're waiting. Let's get him. Let's make him worry about that. Paul said. Instead of worry, worship. Instead of worry, worship. I thank you this morning.
the privilege of sitting with these amazing people. Their love for you. Lord, let them experience your peace. Amen.